0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We have been in this a series called Multiply, where we are talking about just that, um, that what happens outside of these walls is so important. The fact that we're supposed to come in here, grow and be equipped in Jesus to go out there and be the pastors and the teachers and evangelists to a broken world. And so we're excited about what God's been doing through this. Today is actually gonna be our last day on this. And so um, I'm excited to talk about our commission today. First of all, how many of you guys had a good Thanksgiving? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Because now we can do Christmas stuff, amen? A couple weeks ago, it snowed a little bit early and everybody's juices started flowing. I saw Christmas stuff happening. Like we haven't even had turkey yet, amen? And so now, now you can begin to put your your Christmas stuff up. I I feel like you gotta have Thanksgiving before you can have Christmas. So um, we're gonna jump into our Christmas series next week. Uh, But today will be our last time talking about this principle of multiplication. And it's really important because we believe that in Christ, we all have a kingdom calling. We've said this every week, that in Christ Jesus, we all have a kingdom calling in our life. And that kingdom calling is to know Jesus and make him known. Everybody say, know Jesus. And say, make him known. So that's our kingdom calling. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have that kingdom calling upon their life. There's no such thing as taking a spiritual gifts test, and it says on your spiritual gifts test, you're one that's supposed to know Jesus and make him known. It's for all of us. It's all of our kingdom callings in life. Now, in that calling then, you've heard me say this each week, that we all have different assignments in that. So some of you are gonna be just all out like radical teachers and you're gonna be able to lead Bible studies. Some of you are gonna be prayer warriors. Some of you guys are gonna be like, man, I just love to serve in kids ministry or I love to go out into the next generation. So there's different assignments that we have. Some of you are gonna be in the business world. Some of you are teachers out there and some of you guys are in the healthcare field or, or whatever it may be. We all have different assignments and where God is placing us to make sure that we know him and we make him known. And so this is this whole identity of what? What multiplication is all about and so we talked about a couple of weeks ago our calling in it and we kind of set the table for why we're called to it and then we talked about last week that there's a cost you guys remember that there's always a cost to multiplication we talked about how Jesus tells us you want to follow me and we all say yeah we want to follow he says okay here here's the cost take up your cross and follow me If you wanna save your life, you're gonna lose it. If you're gonna lose your life, you're gonna find your life. And so the whole identity in that is that there is a cost to multiplication and that is denying self. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so we talked about that and then today we're gonna talk about the commission. Everybody say commission. Let me read the definition of what a commission is. A commission is an instruction, a command or a duty. Okay? Those are three intense words. An instruction, a command, or duty given to a person or a group of people. And so we all have been commissioned by default when we said yes to Jesus, and we gave our lives to Jesus, by default, we were automatically commissioned into God's command to go and make disciples of all nations. It's not something that you say, I'm going to sign up for after I come into Christ. You come into Christ, and by default, when you say yes to Jesus, the commission of God is placed upon your heart. And the commission of God is that we go out in Matthew 28 and we make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, And I will be with you to the very end. Of the age. So, it's, so the, the, the commission of God is not for some believers and, and not for other believers. The commission of God is not something that you come into in your faith. You become really, really mature. It happens maybe in your 40s and your 50s and on, okay? The commission of God happens the moment that you say yes to Jesus, something inside of you says, and now because I've said yes to Jesus, I'm supposed to emulate him and become like him. Amen, church? And so it's just like that, that we then get this this identity inside of us that says this thing that we have in Christ is not just for me. This thing that we have in Christ is for all people. I was thinking about this in Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, when Paul is is talking and he's saying, listen, this is what I'm praying for. And I wanna read this to you because I think it's a, a really cool prayer that Paul says. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together. Somebody say together. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now listen to this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now here's the key. That you, somebody say you that you may be filled to the measure of all. Somebody circle all in your Bibles if you still have Bibles and you're not using your devices, all right? Somebody circle all in your Bibles that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I just want you to picture God is complete within himself. He needs nothing outside of himself to make him complete. That's why he's perfect in every way. And the prayer that that Paul is praying here in Ephesians 3 is that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God in your life. Who wants a little bit of that fullness? Come on now. You want some of that fullness? I was thinking about this in, in in just terms of our own life that we all try to emulate people in our life. My, my boys, they're really into sports, and so they're always talking about like, you know, they want to be like Curry. And I was like, back in the day it was I want to be like Mike, right? You guys remember that? And 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 then Bo Jackson comes along, and everybody wanna be like Bo Jackson and 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 so they always talk about somebody that they wanna be like. And I'm just thinking in my mind, can you imagine having the fullness, channeling the fullness of Patrick Mahomes in your life? Can you imagine like as an athlete, channeling the fullness of Patrick Mahomes, this young gun in the NFL, who's setting all sorts of records that you're channeling the fullness of him in your life? You would be an all star. You would set records you would be, It would be awesome And yet here's Paul saying right now He's saying listen It has nothing to even do Patrick Mahomes is nothing compared To the fullness of Jesus Christ Nothing We used to have a guy uh, Back at the church uh, At Asbury years ago Who was our custodian And uh, he, he, he was an Elvis impersonator All right and the guy was good. I mean, he looked just like Elvis. He would walk down the hallway with the vacuum cleaner doing his little thing, man. I, it was awesome watching this guy. He channeled everything he could from Elvis inside of him. He gave his life to it. He went on tours and did it. He did the impersonations at parties. He did it all, and he was really good at it. And the thing that Paul is praying is that we would channel that same thing, only it would be Jesus Christ and people would see that we're really good at it, amen? You see, church, this is what it means to be a multiplying church. We're channeling the fullness of God inside of our lives and the commission that he's put inside of us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so just that commission, if you remember that we talked about a couple, uh, last week in Matthew four nineteen that Jesus talks to with a couple of guys and then a couple more and a couple more until he builds up his 12, he gives them this commission, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the key that Jesus was trying to tell them is that if you follow me, you'll produce something. If you're truly in me, if you're truly rooted in me, if you're truly pursuing me, then by default, something's gonna be produced in your life. It's why he talks about fruit and how we're supposed to produce fruit and all of those things. And so then he gives us this statement in John 20, 21. Jesus says to his disciples, and he says it to us today, and this is important, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In the same manner that God sent me, to lay down my life, to be a sacrifice for many in the same manner that God sent me. And he filled me with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I prayed over people and I did miracles in the same manner that God sent me. So I now am sending you in that same manner. And so really today I have two goals that I wanna share with you guys today. And the two goals are this, uh, feeding and fishing. Somebody say feeding and fishing. I want to talk about feeding, and I want to talk about fishing, and then we're going to all participate in something together. Oh, you came on a good Sunday, I'm just saying. So, so our, our commission, church, our first commission is that we're supposed to feed. Somebody say feed. Our first commission is that we are supposed to feed. You have something to offer the hungry. I want you to hear this. You have something to offer the hungry. We just came off of Thanksgiving, and... Uh, We've got 14 grandkids all under the age of 13 now. And so I'm telling you, when Thanksgiving day comes, they're like rabid animals, all right? They are, they're starving. And you know how it is with kids, like we're starving, we're starving. And then all of a sudden, an hour later, right after Thanksgiving dinner, they've just plowed everything in their mouth. There was tons of food. An hour later, they come back in the kitchen. You know what they say? We're starving, I'm hungry. And I'm like, what are, are you kidding me, right? Why? Because there's always somebody that's gonna be hungry. We need to know this. There's always somebody that's going to be hungry. There will always be hungry people out there. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 12. It's a familiar scripture, Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 12, about Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a story you've probably heard in church if you've grown up in church. And, and I wanna read this too because I think it's important when we talk about multiplication here. In Luke 9, 12, he says this, late in the afternoon, so it was getting late, which I like another translation that says, when the day began to wear away, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and and buy food for all of this crowd, which in that crowd, it says that there were about 5,000 men there. Now we always talk about Jesus feeds the 5,000 because they're counting the men that were there. They weren't counting the kids. They weren't counting the women and the families that were there. And so some rough estimations that scholars have put out there is there was probably between 15 and 25,000 people there. So although it's miraculous when we say Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's really miraculous when we say Jesus feeds the 20,000, amen? They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and we buy food for all of this crowd. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There's something about this principle that Jesus teaches us over and over in scripture that you feed them, you feed them that Jesus was really serious about. In fact, in John 21, 15, he tells Peter the same thing. Peter's denied him three times. Jesus has risen um, from the dead. He came back, you know, he's visiting his disciples during this time. And Jesus goes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times he tells Peter the same thing that he's telling these, these disciples up here. You feed them. There's a spiritual principle here that we have to get church. That it is our calling, that is our commission, that is our command towards us that we are to feed people. And he's not talking right now just about physical, there's a spiritual feeding that's taking place as well. And so I want you to see this because I think it's important. The disciples, they're probably hungry themselves. Jesus has been doing ministry all day. They're hungry. Remember, it says the day was wearing away. There's the terminology wearing away. Have you ever had one of those days where you haven't eaten very much all day? The day is wearing away, and you've gone from hungry to hangry. Come on now. Amen. The day is wearing away. They're not hungry. They're past hungry. They're hangry. But they know if they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're really hungry, it doesn't look good for them. So here's what I picture in my mind. They go up to Jesus. First of all, they find the one disciple that was the sucker in the group, right? And they're like, you do it. No, you do it. All right, go, Judas, right? And he goes up and he says, Lord, Lord, the people, we're all about the people, right? Right? The people are hungry. You should send them away because they're hungry. And you know, God, because they're hungry, that that they need to go and get something to eat. And you know he's trying to break this down. He's like, Jesus, so if you could just shut down your message for just a moment, you're a great preacher. But if you could just shut it down, it's noon, right? Amen? Amen? It's noon, and it's time to go get something to eat. And Jesus, with this, not, not, it wasn't a, oh man, your heart for people just amazes. Yes, send them home. He says something to them that they're going to regret. He says, you feed them. You give them something to eat. It's the dreaded verse 13. You do it. You give them something something to eat. I think about this in church life and how many times I've heard people come up and say, you know what you need to do, pastor? You need to start this ministry here. You need to do this ministry here. You need to do this. If you guys would just do this and you look at them and you go, you do it. That's a great idea. You do it. And they're like, um, I just, I really can't. I don't have the, you know, the time or whatever. It's the same kind of mentality. Now this disciple has to go back and he has to tell these guys, uh, Jesus says that we're supposed to feed them. And there's about 20,000 people out there well in, in in John chapter nine, you read about the boy that had the loaves and the fishes. It says, There is a boy here who has five loaves and two small fish. But look what he says. But what are they? What are these things among so many? You see, immediately there was a feeling of hopelessness. All of these people need fed. Jesus just commanded us to feed them. How in the world are we gonna do it? We don't have the wages to do it. We don't have the money to do it. We don't have the resources to do it. We can't do this on our own. And there was a feeling of hopelessness with the task that Jesus had just given them, yet he still gave it to them. You know, we have to know this church, and I think this is important. If we offer nothing to God, If we are not willing to give ourselves and what we have, we're going to miss out on multiplication. What they were trying to do was look at this small, meager thing that this boy had given them, these small, meager fish, these small, meager loaves of bread that this boy had given them, and they're looking at the vastness of the crowd, and they're saying, how are these things going to fulfill all of these people out there? There's no possible way, but it's that whole principle of multiplication. If we start with just what we have inside of us, God can multiply the rest, amen? Amen. If we start with what we have inside of us, that I have a love affair with Jesus, that he's transformed my life, that he's done, I mean, truly changed everything about me. If if I can start with that, God can multiply the rest. And so they've got these two fish and these five loaves for maybe 20,000 people. And it says that Jesus breaks the loaves and he gives offering to the Lord and it says he blesses them. What is amazing is that Jesus can take that little bit that we have and he can turn it into something amazing. You see, I think a lot of us in this room feel like we have too little to offer when we talk about multiplication. And we've hammered this the last couple of weeks. The reason that we let the pastor stand up here on the stage and preach is because we think, God, I just can't do that. So I'm gonna let him do that. I'll just bring people here. And that is never the way that the church was designed, amen? We've said it over and over and over. And I want to say it again. We've reversed the way that Jesus intended it to be. Jesus never intended to be the pastor here and the church out there and the pastor does the preaching and the teaching and that's it. He always intended for it to be the church that was equipped to go and do the work. Amen. Always. And so here Jesus is teaching them this principle of multiplication saying, if we just take the little bit that we have, I'll turn it into something Amazing, And I want you to see something here, church. The miracle didn't happen in the hands of Jesus. It says that Jesus took what he gave them. He took the five loaves, broke them, gave thanks and blessed them. He took the fish. And it never says that at that moment, 5,000 loaves of bread were, were, were multiplied. It never says in that moment that, that 5,000 fish were multiplied. It says he took it, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he gave it back into the hands of the disciples. So no miracle happened in the moment of Jesus' hands. But when he blessed it and he put it back into the hands of the disciples, something happened where when they walked around with the baskets of bread and when they walked around with the baskets of fish, there continued to be more and more and more. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples because Jesus blessed it. Amen? This is important for us to get. Jesus took what was given... And it doesn't say that it multiplied right there in that minute, he took what was given, he blessed it, he gave it back to the disciples to distribute and there, when they distributed it, it multiplied in front of them. God doesn't just add to things, God takes what we give him and he multiplies it into something we couldn't do in, our own, in and of our own selves. Jesus wants to use you and I for his plan of multiplication but we have to offer something. <laughs> And what we have to offer is us. We have to offer our lives. We have to offer our availability. We have to offer our time. What he wants to do in and through us is run this plan of multiplication that he's put into our DNA from the very beginning of time. And what we have to offer then, once we give ourselves to him, what we have to offer is that we carry within us the bread of life, amen? We carry within us the bread of life that never runs empty. And multiplication happened when they gave the bread away. Multiplication will happen in your life when you give the bread of life away that's inside of you. When you give the hope of Jesus, multiplication will happen. I don't know if you guys remember your math timetables and the rule about zero. Anybody remember in multiplication the rule about zero? Zero times any number always equals what? Zero. Zero times any number, zero times one, zero. Zero times a million, zero. This is the, the times table when you take it times zero. You cannot multiply zero and ever get something else. The same, the, the same spiritual principle happens in our life, church. We cannot say, God, I'm not willing to give anything. I'm not willing to give myself and somehow think that multiplication is going to happen. We can't not give ourselves and think that somehow multiplication is gonna happen. Jesus first says, give me what you have, whether it's a little or a lot, give me what you have and watch what I can do in your life. Give me your time, give me your availability, give me your talents, give me your trust, give me your obedience, watch what I can do with that in your life. And I want you to think about this for just a minute. If we were all on that mountaintop with Jesus, hungry and hoping to be fed what if we were able what if we were being asked to make a choice not to hold on to our own life but to give god our life in that moment and let god bless it would we do it in that moment if we were on top of that mountaintop with jesus we saw all these hungry people and jesus says i want you to give of your life to them i want you to give of your life to them would we do it you might not feel like you have much to give but you have more than you know. You have it because you were created by God, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, and you were given the command, just like Jesus, just as God sent me into the world, so I am sending you into the world. Church, please hear me in this. You have the tools, and you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit to go and multiply today. Yes, we want to do trainings. Yes, we want to do we want to have opportunities for you to come and learn. Yes, we want to have all those things, but today, today is the day that you could begin this multiplication for kingdom things that God has called us to. I heard a story of a pastor who once asked a group of people, "What the fruit of an apple tree is?" And most people answered, "Well, the fruit of an apple tree of course is an apple." But the pastor disagreed. He says, The true fruit of an apple tree is not an apple, but another tree. Sometimes I think in our spiritual lives, what we do is we settle for the apples, church. But what if God is hoping that we won't just settle for fruit that's eventually gonna just fall onto the ground, but what if God is calling us to bear more trees? This is what multiplication is. This is what discipleship is. It's not just adding more apples. It's not just putting more apples into your basket. It's creating more trees where thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of more apples are going to happen. It's creating it so it's not just in a season where apples come, but a lifetime. Amen? What if God isn't calling us just to do apples? What if He's calling us to plant trees, to, to plant those seeds, to water and disciple them, to watch them grow into the trees that God's called them to be? We, we are called to feed. I want you to hear that more than anything else right now, I want you to hear that we are called to feed. But once we buy into this and we understand that we're called to feed, now we're called to fish. Anybody like fishing out there? Any, anybody out there? <laughs> Our commission to fish is fulfilling the call to multiply. Now I asked Matt to bring um, his little fishing rod here today. This is actually a uh, fly fishing rod. And I had the privilege of uh, never fly fishing in my life until a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, Matt, actually, we were in Colorado and Matt was gonna teach me how to do it. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, he abandoned me after 30 minutes. I'm just gonna throw that out to you. Um, but, but there was something that, that he was trying to show me. He said, Aaron, it's, you got, it's not like fish. See, we grew up river fishing, all right? You got a cane pole, you put a worm or you put a minnow on it and you catch big old channel cat, amen? Is that, yeah? Okay, that's how we grow up fishing. It's easy. I watch my bobber go down. I rip it out. I've got dinner, okay? And, And so he starts telling me that that's not what real fishing is. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And so I'm gonna break his rod. And so he says, no, you gotta come out with me and you gotta do this fly fishing. And he says, Aaron, it's not just you know, going out there and throwing it in, there's, 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 a, there's a method to it. You gotta have the right fly on it. You gotta have all these things. And, and he, I don't know, he was just telling me a whole bunch of stuff. And so he, he started to show me a little bit about how you're supposed to like, you just, you swing it. And I know I'm not doing it right if you're a fly fisherman out there, okay? And then you like lay it out there, right? And then, and then what happens is it goes down the river and then something's supposed to bite it. Well, I'm doing everything that he told me to do. I want you to hear me, okay? I was listening to him, which doesn't happen often. And, and I'm, I'm swinging it and I'm swinging it. He told me I was gonna hit somebody in the face today too. Um, and I'm laying it out there, just like, that, just like he's saying. He's like, snap it. And I'm snapping it. Now it's stuck on the awesome. And I'm not catching anything, okay? And the guy beside me, is catching everything and I'm in the same hole that he's in and I'm furious. I'm like, Matt, this thing's not working. And he's like, leave me alone, right? And I'm like, this thing's not working and I'm flipping it and I'm I'm doing everything. And he says, do you have the right fly on there? I'm like, I don't know, you put something on there, right? He says, well, there's certain seasons where they bite certain things. He says, maybe you need to change your fly. So I put a new fly on there and I'm doing it and I'm flipping it and I'm flipping it. And I still, I can't catch anything. Listen to me, church. The guy next to me is just ripping in fish after fish after fish. So I go up to him and I say, sir, I said, can you tell me why you're catching all these fish and I'm not catching anything? He goes, well, let me see what fly you have on there. So he looks at my fly and goes, well, that's, that's, not the, that's not the right season for that fly. Here, use this one. And he gives me one. And I kid you not, I put that thing on and my first cast out there, I did not catch a fish, but I had a bite. All right. And my second cast out there, I did not catch a fish, but I had a bite. And I'll tell you why. Because he says, now it's not about your bait. Now it's about the way you're casting. (laughs) Listen to me, fishing is hard, all right? Give me my cane pole and put me on the river. Because I'm telling you right now, fly fishing was hard. And as I was thinking about the message and as we're preparing for today and this call to fish, I'm gonna tell you, fishing can be difficult. Do I hear an amen? Spiritually, fishing can be difficult. It's not just about getting a piece of bait on there. It's about getting the right bait that's on there. But I can tell you the right bait we all have in our hearts, the right bait that transcends all other bait is Jesus Christ. Because everybody, I don't care who you are, everybody needs Jesus. We know this. Everybody needs Jesus. But then it's not just about having the right bait. It's about how, how, knowing how to also cast that out there. And that's what I wanna talk about today. When we talk about fishing, I want you to hear something. Jesus not only had the right bait, but he knew how to cast out there. Listen to this story when Jesus meets up with the Samaritan woman. It's in, uh, it's in John, so John, uh, John what, what do I have up there? John chapter four, verse seven. Listen to what Jesus says in verse seven here. He meets the Samaritan woman at the well. You guys remember that encounter that he has. And he says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? They didn't mix for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, "Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. Talk about somebody reading your mail. (laughs) What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time has come, and will you worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem? You Samaritans worship... What you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is for the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seek. God is spirit and he worships, and and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they all came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let me give you a couple quick observations of of how Jesus just fished in this moment. Jesus acted differently than those who would most, most of the time be around her Jesus acted differently Jews didn't associate with Samaritans um, Men didn't associate in public with women typically And so all of a sudden Jesus leans over to her And says can I have a drink And so he's, he's, he's engaging someone Who normally would not be engaged in this culture Then Jesus offered her something He offers her living water and she, of course, says, you have nothing to draw the water with. Now her interest is piqued. How are you going to offer me water when you've got nothing to draw the water with? So now all of a sudden, she's just offered her something that's piqued her interest. He's trying to offer me water. He doesn't even know I have a way to get the water. So he begins to set the hook by sharing what this living water really was. He says, I'm going to give you something where you can never thirst again. It's a spring of eternal life. She says, give me this water so, so I won't have to be thirsty again. I won't have to come to this well anymore. Something's beginning to set the hook inside her. You've got something where I don't have to come and drink anymore? You've got something where I'm gonna be able to, sit, to be filled up all of the time? Then he gets her to examine her life. This is big, and I want you to hear this, church. He gets her to examine her life because sin has become shame and guilt for her. He says, go get your husband, come back, let's talk. She says, I don't have a husband. That's when he says, you're right, you've had five, and the one that you're with now isn't your husband. He gets her to examine her heart, and I'm sure in that moment she began to lay her head down a little bit and say, that's true what you say. But he didn't walk away. He set the hook now. He's just offered her something. He's just engaged somebody that nobody else would engage. He just called her out, but in a loving way, and he stays. And then he does this. She has questions. Now her questions start well, well, you, you, you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and, and, and we Samaritans, we worship up here on this, this mountaintop. And Jesus is answering questions. question. There's coming a day where it doesn't matter where you worship. There's coming a day where the worship's going to be inside of you because the Spirit of God's going to be inside of you. Now, all of a sudden, something's stirring in her heart. And then Jesus reveals that he is the Savior. She says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. He just got something. She's interested. She's interested in this coming Messiah. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And in that moment, Jesus says, I am who you speak of. You see, church, this is what it looks like to fish. He's got this bait that's eternal life. He's got this bait that's hope. He's got this bait that's salvation, and he's casting it out in the right way. Listen, this would have been the wrong way for him to cast it out. He could, have not, he could have come up to her. He could have walked right up to her and says, look, you're a sinner. I know you're a sinner. You're an adulteress. I know you're an adulteress. You've been sleeping around. I know what you've been doing. And listen, there's no hope in that. You need me, Okay. You you, you need me, you're a sinner, you have no hope, you need me. Jesus could have approached her that way. But let me tell you right now, that Samaritan woman in that moment, I believe with everything in me, had Jesus approached her in that way, she would have walked away. She would have put her head down. There would have been guilt and shame, yes. But also, who is this Jew to tell me? And she would have walked away. And so he didn't fish that way. She wasn't ready for that. Instead, Jesus created an interest inside of her that began to begin to stir her heart. We need to know this about fishing. It's not just an event. Fishing is a process in life. Amen, church. It's freeing when you see that it's not about getting someone to listen to a plan of salvation only. It's freeing when you realize it's not about just setting down and going through the Romans road about trying to get somebody just simply saved. It's freeing to know that when we talk about fishing, it's about investing in their life. It's about investing in who they are as a person. There's an acronym from that book that we've been going through on multiplication that we've been sharing each week that's called FISH, and each one of these letters is broken down in this acronym on, on fishing, and so I want to go through this with you real quick. F means to find, and there's two parts to this finding people who need to know the hope and love that we carry in Jesus and finding out about their life. To do this, church, we have to have opportunities outside of our everyday lives. We've got to break outside of our everyday lives. We've talked about this many times in here that sometimes in church life we keep you so busy and then we're out there saying, well, why aren't you sharing the gospel? Why aren't you discipling? You're like, because I'm at the church five days a week, amen? We need to create opportunities for you to go out, And find people who need the hope and love of Jesus. My dad is really good at this. My dad is one of the greatest evangelists that I know. And I'm going to tell you right now. Whether the garbage man comes to the farm, whether the propane guy comes to fill it, they hear about Jesus whether they want to or not. All right? Because they've got to do their job. And so as they're standing there, he's telling them about Jesus. But he's doing it in an engaging way. How are you doing today? Tell me about your family. Where are you from? Did you grow up around here? He's fishing. He's trying to build interest in them. He's finding something that he can connect. And then the minute that he connects with them, the minute that he connects with them, he begins to tell them about the love of Christ. I've told you this before. When he had his heart attack at 53, 54, whatever it was at the Y, and, 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 and he coded three times. He was dead three times. And every time they'd shock him back, it's, they told, the ambulance told us. In the ambulance, he was trying to tell the ambulance drivers about Jesus as they were shocking him back to life. I'm like, dude, Like, you got some issues in a good way, I'm just saying. We've got to find that commonality. We've got to have those opportunities. And then we've got to find out about them. They're not a target, amen? They're not a target. But we find out about their life, and it takes time. There's a quote that I read, and it says this, you have to touch their hearts before you can touch their heads you have to touch their hearts before you can touch their heads. In this book I was reading, it says, the thought in Western Christianity is that you have to try and convince someone with the truth first, then their hearts can be touched. And he says, yet what I've found out is that trying to address all the intellectual arguments doesn't get me very far, but seeing the needs of the heart, I can always see how Jesus can move in that. Number two, so we find, F, find, then we I, We find interest, we show, we try to get the interest of them perked in Jesus. We show how Jesus is relevant to every need that they have. And the best way to do that is by sharing your testimony. Listen to what Revelation 12, 11 says, they, believers, triumphed over the enemy. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And so it's talking about believers that have gone before us It's talking about believers that said, listen, it's not about our life. It's about the life of Christ inside of us. And it says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb because of what Jesus did and the word of their testimony. He's talking about us too. It's a past and a future reference. That our testimony is what helps change people. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There's going to be times in our life where people are going to say, why are you so filled with joy? What is it about your life? Why are you so filled with hope? Why do you love the way that you love? Why do you have so much peace and so much hope? What they're doing is they're taking notice about your life that they don't see in everyday life. And so when they take notice, something's perked their interest and it's an opportunity for you to go in and share. Well, the reason I have hope actually is because Jesus changed me. The reason I have love is actually because when I felt unloved, the love of God came down and found me. The reason I have confidence isn't because I have confidence in myself. The reason I have confidence is because the Holy Spirit has filled me, and when the Holy Spirit is in you, you have the confidence of God inside of you. You see, something happens and it's perked their interest, and then we go from interest into S, sharing now you've hooked them. You've found them, you've perked an interest, you've casted the bait in the right way, and now you're beginning the hook. And as you begin the hook, the hook is simply that you share the hope of Jesus is for them. Romans ten fourteen again, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. He sent you out he's commissioned you to go and share this hope so we got f i s you've just hooked them and now h they've bought in they said i'm in i want this i want this hope that you have i want this jesus that you have i want to know this life that you have and you share this hope of jesus with them and then you h you help them You walk with them. This isn't a notch on the belt, church. This is the difference between just evangelism without multiplying. You can be a great evangelist and not multiply, amen? You can be a great evangelist and not multiply. This is evangelism with multiplication, which means now that you've come into it, I've shared the hope with you, I've shared it. Now I'm going to walk beside you. And how am I going to walk beside you? I'm going to engage you weekly. I'm going I'm to follow up with you. I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to send you a text. I might call. I might visit, whatever. But we're going to engage weekly or, or at least every couple of weeks. We're going we're, we're to be together. We're going we're to bounce things off with one another. I'm going to challenge you. You're going to challenge me. I'm going to equip you. You're going to equip somebody. What does it mean to equip somebody? Does that mean you have to have all the biblical knowledge up here? No. You don't have to have all the biblical knowledge up here. To equip someone says, here's what the Bible says. That we're supposed to love one another. How are you you loving someone today? Here's what the Bible says, that we're supposed to search our hearts. Have you searched your heart today? You don't have to be a biblical scholar to read scripture and just say, how are you doing with that? We're equipping one another. Then we're encouraging one another. When we're down, when we're up, when we've got highs and lows in life, we're encouraging one another. In situations, we're praying for one another. We can all pray for one another. This is what it means when we're helping them. We're fishing, we're finding them we're hooking them with the interest of Jesus, that they need Jesus, that they want Jesus. We're sharing our testimony. Then we're sharing with them the hope of Jesus is for them and then we're helping them by walking beside them. I want you to hear me say that my life, my life, I've grown up in the church my whole life and I've shared this testimony with you before When when I became a believer at the age of really 21 is when I confessed Jesus probably for myself, 2021. I was a junior in college, and I just remember it very vividly. And my life was the result of somebody multiplying inside of me. I was a product of Dennis Wallace, my dad. He always shared this hope of Jesus, not as a pastor, but as a father and as this guy who had this love affair with Jesus. He always shared it. So my dad, I'm a product of Dennis Wallace. I'm a product of a guy named Tracy McKenzie. Tracy McKenzie led this group of navigators at K-State. And Tracy McKenzie got a hold of my life I'll remember it My wife was up at, at Lincoln We were dating at the time she, she went to the University of Lincoln Don't hold that against her But that's where she went and, and, and she said You need to come to a Navigators rally with me Well the K-State group was up there And Tracy McKenzie said You go to K-State? I said yeah He goes I, I do want you to come to a Bible study So I went to this Bible study Tracy McKenzie got a hold of my life And then I was a result of Joel Johnson Multiplying in my life Joel Johnson was on staff with the Navigators. He was right out of college. And his, his role was to go to guys that were in Greek life, guys that were in fraternities. And, and he would go and he would pour into those guys. And so he got a hold of me and he began to disciple me. He began to pour into me. And it wasn't just, hey, I've got Aaron Wallace. I've notched my belt. Look at the list of guys that I've won to Christ. He followed up with me weekly. How you doing, brother? How you doing in Jesus? What are you reading? Where you at in life? What's your struggles? What's your pains? What's your joys? These guys, Dennis Wallace, Tracy McKenzie, Joel Johnson, Sean Ammons was a youth pastor who impacted my life in a big way. All of these people multiplied in my life. To be an equipping and multiplying church means that we have to buy into this. Jim Downing, he was a leader in the Navigators. and uh, he was friends with Billy Graham. And someone wants to ask him, why do you think Billy Graham's ministry grew so dramatically while other gifted evangelists of the time didn't? Billy Graham, man, especially in the 70s and 80s, man, just blew up. And Jim Downing answered simply with this, Billy had the faith to go rent the stadium when others didn't. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. What are you asking God to do with your life? says this, what are you asking God to do with your life? If it's not intimidating to you, it could be insulting to God. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.